0: We are continuing, and today is our second week of uh, looking at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, especially this first chapter in the Gospel of Mark, and what this might say to us about joining God's work in the world and what it might look like. And as we uh, approach God's Word, let us first go uh, to Jesus in prayer. Will you pray with me? God, there is no doubt that the best of my words will only give a partial view of what your kingdom looks like, how you're inviting us into your mission, but your word speaks the whole truth. And so we pray what we might hear this morning is indeed your word, and that it might, it might cut to our heart, and we might receive that grace so that it might transform our life so we might go out with great joy, looking to join your work. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So our scripture reading today picks up right where our uh, last week's left off. It's Mark 1, 16 through 20. Listen for God's word for each of us this morning. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Well, most people, they are convinced that it's easier to learn a foreign language as a child than as an adult. I was very convinced of this because I've tried and failed at three romance languages. And so I was kind of hanging my hat on if I had done this as a kid, it would have been different. Uh, So I was sad to to learn uh, from my wife, actually, that it's not true. That's not a truism that it's easier for a kid. In fact, in many cases, An adult can learn a language much faster than a child. Do you know why? Because adults are smarter than kids. (laughs) An accent, an accent, yes, being a kid helps there, but not the language, not the language. We We just think it's easier for a child because a child is very satisfied spending a day learning how to say their colors in Spanish. That feels like a good full day. Learning to talk in short basic sentence, that's not frustrating for a kid, because little kids only talk in short basic sentences. Basically, taking baby steps is very natural if you're a baby. But adults, we think we're sophisticated. We already can talk really well in, in one language, and so we've got options, we feel like we've got things figured out, we, we feel like we should be in a bit of control around a topic like how to talk. Which means as adults, when, when learning the days of the week in French feels too simple, we get frustrated. When reviewing verb conjugation feels tedious, we just kind of yearn for something a little more exciting, for things to go a little quicker. And, and when this new goal of, of being fluent in a, in a new language, when it demands patience, we don't have to, uh, when it demands a kind of patience that we don't have to show anywhere else in life, we often just give up. We already know how to talk in one language, so let's just keep it at that. But let me ask you, if that's true of a new language, if that kind of frustration and tediousness is true when we have a new language, what do you think that means about our desire and engagement to learn new creation? No one in the history of the world has mistaken God's new work as affirmation of old life. It's always something that we haven't expected or encountered before. And so I wonder, in what area of your life would you have a hard time learning all over again, starting at the beginning? And I ask that because this morning we're going to explore what God's mission always leads to, what new thing God's work always produces, every time. Last week was was about where mission begins, and this week is about where it ends. And I've already mentioned it, so there's no reason to beat around the bush. Uh, So here it is. Mission, God's mission, it always culminates with the building of community, the forming of it. When we say God's kingdom is coming, what we mean is God's community is being formed. I don't think it's an overstatement to summarize God's work in Scripture as the work of binding people together around the Lord, whether it's Israel or the church or, in the end, the whole world. Therefore, in the Gospel of Mark, after Jesus announces the kingdom of God is at hand, it's it's not surprising that the first articulation of this good news, the first thing that it it produces is, is Jesus calling a bunch of guys, To form a new community around him. Telling these random dudes that don't know each other to drop their nets and start hanging out together with him. The kingdom of God is here, Jesus says. And and what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to invite people to be with me. And what's their new job going to be? To be about other people. To become fishers of men. And then, if we fast forward, because Jesus does do other work, it's not simply community over and over again. But after all the miracles, after all the teachings, after all the uh, after the cross and the in the in the resurrection, after all the work of Jesus is done, what's the final product? What does it all end up being? All those healed people, all that great teaching, parables. It culminates, it ends, the product is, if we believe the book of Acts, 30 people, roughly, who are willing to eat dinner together and pray together. 30 people who didn't used to eat dinner together and didn't used to pray together after Jesus dies and resurrects have decided, you know what, let's start eating dinner together and let's start praying together. That's the culmination of God's work in the world, and it ends up. Changing the world. A lot of times we get real worked up and stressed out as to how we should join God's work and what it means to be successful at it. And of course, I don't think that we should duck or sell the Lord's vision short, but the very simple guidepost for joining the mission of Jesus in my mind is did we begin from a place of grace? Did we begin believing we were forgiven? And did we end having formed relationships that allowed us to offer that grace to others? But that leads us back to the problem we mentioned at the beginning, and that is that we are already really good at one language of community. The one where people think like us, and act like us, and enjoy the same things as us the one where we have history with people. But the community of Jesus, that Jesus is building, it always goes beyond that. So it might be pretty easy to see the new thing the Lord is doing and instead of seeing mission, to grow impatient. To hear we're called to to love the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed and not want to start from scratch there. And have to have awkward initial interactions to to feel like pursuing friendships that got a high risk of failure or where we could say the wrong thing that that's just a bad use of our time we want to say i barely have time for for my friends who i relate to how can i possibly learn to be friends or make the time to be friends with people who i do not relate to how can i learn that kind of new language but friends, that is always the work of Jesus. That's always what it looks like. No one's ever been transformed by being comfortable. No one has ever s- said, "I just left a dinner with people who are like me and talk about all and we all we did was talk about all the things we had in common and it changed my life." No one's ever gone to that dinner. Those dinners are fun, but no one's ever left changed. We grow, we discover meaning when in God's grace, strangers become neighbors. And that's true of our relationship with Jesus himself. It's true of our relationship with our spouse. And it's true with our relationship with the homeless person who lives down the street. And I don't know about you, but I find that to be freeing and convicting freeing because it reminds me i'm not being called to save the world i'm being called to build relationships in the name of jesus but convicting because i wonder where i'm prioritizing this in my life where am i seeking to form relationships because of and around the lord And it's thinking about those questions that, I, that I'm excited to have Brian Bollinger from Friends of Refugees with us in worship today. Because not only is Friends of Refugees a place where Kairos has been engaging mission with this kind of thing in mind, this building of community. But Brian is a person who is passionate about being a part of mission like this. And so I'm going to invite him up for a little bit of conversation uh, to for the rest of the sermon with the hope that this idea which I think is as true as true can be capital T that it might actually begin to take on a little bit of flesh that, that you might notice where you've been a part of this work already or, or, if, or if you haven't, uh, we, you might uh, begin to see concrete ways to be intentional about mission with the goal of building community. Because I think this stuff is hard. It makes us start over. But I think it's the kind of stuff that we tell people, my heart's being changed. I'm finding meaning in places I didn't find meaning before. So I want to invite Brian up. And we're going to have a little conversation. And it's going to be tremendous, tremendously lovely. 10 out of 10. Thank you for being here. Really appreciate it. I, I feel like most people at Kairos, because we have been engaged for a while, know about Friends of Refugees. We've been partnering with you guys in a lot of ways. For yeah, for a spell. Uh, but people might not know you. Uh, or, if you're vis- or if they're visiting, they might not know about Friends of Refugees and, and, and what that's about. And so I'm wondering if you could just spend a, a second say, uh, letting us know a little about Friends of Refugees and, uh, and what drew you to be the Executive Director of the organization?
1: Well, we learned in science that nature does not allow a vacuum. Uh, <laughs> no. uh, the reason I'm the director um, is that uh, the Lord called my wife and I to Clarkston straight out of college. Um, we went to John Brown University in Arkansas and uh, uh, came and visited friends on a spring break missions trip, actually. and uh, we. Um, Humorously enough, my undergraduate degree was intercultural community development. So, as a running joke, I'm one of the few liberal arts folks that actually does what I went to school for. <laughs> um, no, but we, we went to work for World Relief, in initial refugee resettlement in Atlanta, and lived in Clarkston, and uh, over the years, uh, we volunteered with, with Friends of Refugees, which is a, a wonderful Christian community development organization that uh, Miss Pat Maddox, the Mother Teresa of Clarkston, founded... Uh, 23 years ago and uh, so we've, we've been there for 11 years now and um, I started serving on the board uh, while I was still at world of league uh, after I had finished my MBA and really just saw the Lord using it in some incredible ways and uh, uh, in 2013 they asked me to step in as the director uh, to fill the vacuum as my, my predecessor rolled into more of an operating role and And eventually moved on to some other callings and so that's that's how we wound up there just uh we really thought that we were going to be probably living at the ends of the earth working on a bible translation and we were willing to go uh planning to go and willing to stay as they like to say in perspectives um and uh, we wound up in Clarkston doing both so uh, that's kind of how we wound up there
0: Cool. And so then what is some of the stuff that Friends of Refugees does? What are some of y'all's big buckets? Yeah, so
1: our vision, our end game at Friends of Refugees, we say is refugees experiencing abundant life in flourishing communities. Uh, And that's our end game. And the mission we use to go there is through empowering refugees with opportunities for well-being, education, and employment. So, everything that we do lands under kind of one of those general buckets. And uh, what that looks like is that we operate a family of, uh, of six programs, formerly seven. We just rolled out the Refugee Sewing Society uh, to being its own nonprofit again. And uh, we operate an employment center that uh, uh, last year placed almost 300 breadwinners into living wage jobs uh, that generated over two point, no, sorry. Just north of five million dollars in new annual residual income in the community. Um, we we also. Uh do several career trainings in different, different areas, everything from coding to solar PV installation. We run uh, at a, uh, a program called the Start Me Business Accelerator, uh, which the congregation that many of you have helped out with there, uh, that works to launch 16 new businesses in the community every year by surrounding them with 30 uh, business mentors who will beat the daylights out of their business plan until they them to survive in the wild uh, and help them launch. We've launched 91 businesses over the last six years, and 85% of them are still in business Today, including a dozen brick-and-mortar stores, um, we also operate Refugee Family Literacy, formerly known as Mommy and Me, uh, which is an ESL and early childhood development center for mothers and their pre-K kids and babies. Uh, really exciting. we have almost 400 uh, students enrolled this year. I think actually north of 400 and we also operate in brace which is a, a, a healthy birth ministry where we have labor doulas and birth coaches that walk with moms through their first birth in the united states helping them navigate the medical system and have a healthy pregnancy a culturally appropriate delivery and an empowered postpartum experience to be able to welcome baby home and have all the skills to be the amazing mom that got baby to be um, and then we also run uh, after school mentoring and tutoring Um, for uh, over 90 youth and and an eight-week-long summer camp for 150 kids uh, who are actually, the camp's actually run by the refugee teenagers in the youth mentoring uh, and then surrounded by uh, local churches and college students uh, investing in them. Um, And finally, we have the Jolly Avenue Community Gardens where we have 120 families that have garden plots to grow uh, to grow community. Um, at the end of the day, we bridge the, the knowledge gap, that first generation of apartment life in the United States when grandma and grandma are still with the family and have thousands of years of agricultural knowledge to pass on, uh, but in most cases, that's lost in apartment life. And By the time those families are homeowners a generation later, uh, it's gone forever. But we get the opportunity to bridge that knowledge gap enhance family food security and just create an amazing space to share life together and develop that sense of community, a sense of a we instead of us there. them, um, so it's a really, really cool space. Um,
0: but, 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 but that's it. That's all. Yeah. Uh, hmm. All right. <laughs> I guess that's okay. Uh, Brian, I'm super. I'm pro comfort, and I actually think the Lord rejoices in us finding um, community where we're known and where we hold things in common, um, and we feel encouraged in our in our way of life and and, but also there's this, and you've clearly read it because you went out of college and you jumped into it, but there's this underlying part of scripture that says that God wants us to have a heart for the poor, wants us to have a heart for the marginalized and the oppressed, to look out for the foreigner. Uh, and, and I know that it's, it's, it's dangerous to say, what does God mean by that or why would God want us to do that? Um, but you've clearly put some thought into it and you've seen some value in it. And so I'm just wondering if you could give us, um, a little bit of your picture of, of why you think God, what do you think God's up to there? Yeah,
1: I, this is my wife, Annie and I were having a bit of conversation about this last night and she spoke words well beyond my wisdom to share. I, I wish I could just channel all of them. Uh, she probably would be better to be up here than me. And she, she, uh, you know, we, we collectively landed on just this realization that um, God gives us so many commands that come with promises. They aren't given to us. The, the, the call in Scripture to welcome the foreigner and the stranger is one of our native born, or to share our lives together with our neighbors, or to have a heart for the poor and the oppressed— These aren't aren't because God wants something from us. They're because he wants something for us. And he knows that our flourishing is found in that. Um, And I think that's probably the thing that strikes me the most. is like, again, if I can kind of delve into the, the mind and the heart of Christ, it's because he knows that we will experience abundant life when we are about the business that Christ would be about as himself in our community. Um, And that's probably what living um, in the ministry and call that we've had the last 11 years has taught us more than anything is is life together. Uh, And I'll give you a great example that Annie popped that I was like, oh man, I had kind of almost forgotten about that, was... um, some refugee neighbors, new, new American neighbors that were from Bhutan, uh, Durga and Jagannidhi Pokrel uh, had. Uh, we were um, we were going to go out and do a pumpkin patch. You know, go you know, pick a pumpkin and and I don't remember whose idea it was. We we're like, hey, let's let's invite Jaganini and Durga to go with us, and and we did, and and it was just. So excited to go and see their family experience that. And even the 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 um uh the, the owners of the pumpkin patch. I mean it was so they just lit up. They were like, Well, we're so glad you're here, welcome to our country. And They literally gave them the pumpkin, they were like, no, no, it's no, no charge. And and what was fun was they that was a neat opportunity for us to share something of the richness of, of the culture and the heritage that we've gotten to experience we have this whole thing with pumpkins and having you know multiple seasons as opposed to a lot of tropical spaces uh, but we brought them home and they said yeah now we, we carved them I and then we had to like grab that Wikipedia and explain why we did so that was a big thing it was kind of hilarious and fun but what was neat was that when we got back to their apartment, these other Bhutanese neighbors and friends of theirs showed up at the apartment, and they're like, we want to see this whole pumpkin carving thing. And it turned into, we had this great picture of us with our our roommate Kelly, and we were all like, and there's like 20 people in the apartment, and we're all like holding these three little carved pumpkins. And it was just that sense of the richness of, we were just going to sit like, hey, we just need a break from life and work, let's go out. But we invited our neighbor to join us. And it turned into a richer experience than we could have ever had. Uh, otherwise,: So that was just a tiny little like, moment where we realized that you know, we're blessed to be a blessing, at the end of the day, our new American neighbor is a blessing, not a burden. Um, so yeah, that was...
0: That's awesome. I was trying to whenever I say something that I think is a little bold or a little absolute, I like, try to go through my list of like, well, is this true or there other? But every example of something that has been meaningful, deeply felt, grace felt in my life. It has been outside the comfort zone, the ability, even if it's just for me personally, it's noticing a place in my own life where I was like a stranger to myself and God's grace coming. It's always this push to something new. And I think uh, what y'all are doing and uh, to be able to engage the refugee population, like you said, is God saying, I want this for you because of what you'll experience uh, and learn And I just think that's awesome.
1: And and I did, hang on, I think I actually, I was flicking through. I keep a collection of quotes, and there was one that uh, had struck me about that. Um, Yeah, it was from um, Alexander Stewart, I believe it's Bailey, Bailey, from the seven last words. He said, uh, humanity needs to get away from the world of things as they are and into the world of things as they ought to be. This means that men and women learn to live for one another. It's only when we can live a life of self forgetfulness that we get our truest joy out of life. Um, and that kind of just had that ring of God's truth to it for me when I was thinking about that. It was like, yeah, like, when was the last time you were like, yeah, I did exercise, I went out for a jog, I did something for my body, and at the end of it I was like... I'm just drained. I feel like I was a total waste of time. <laughs> my, my health has not been blessed by that. Like,
0: oh, when that happens, it
1: kind of proves the rule. It's very exceptional. Um, so there is that. Yeah, even mm-hmm. the
0: nail thing. Well, one of the reasons I was so excited to have you was I do think this is a challenging topic. Hopefully, a thought-provoking topic for all of us. But it's not one where it's like, do you see how we have been terrible at this, and we need to be infinitely better? I hope you're feeling the guilt, and and and. And, and you get inspired by that, those terrible feelings to get rid of them, but it's instead like we have begun to form relationship. We have begun to build um, community, and, and for those of you that don't know, I, um, how we first got connected with Friends of Refugees is one person, Liz Johnson, had a relationship with Friends of Refugees, and and I actually think one of the most remarkable things about this is not that she was passionate about it and therefore invited our community into it, but she did it and it was okay. It was okay. Like there was, you know, a couple people went and engaged. And normally I'd be like, well, I was really hoping it was gonna be like totally gangbusters and we would it was like a life changing, transformative experience. And so I'm like, well, I guess our community's not into it. But that's not what Liz did. She invited us again. Set up something else again, and slowly over time, we've just been able to build relationship, build community. Uh, and I was I was thinking about this. I asked Jan. I wasn't thinking about it. I asked Jan to say what What are some of the things that we've done in the last twelve months or so? And she was like, she gave. I can't even give the whole list, but we've had play dates at zoos. We've had a toy and coke drive. We had a weekend Clarkston experience, immersion experience. Um, both partnering with Bethesda, we've done 800 lunches for, uh, their summer camp. Uh, we've done this Christmas shop activity that I know a lot of people have been involved in for the last couple years. Uh, the older elementary use their talents money to, uh, create family literacy. The SOBs, I'll explain that to you later. Uh, they use their money to provide for a job coach. I mean, the list goes on. I was... I was overwhelmed with the way, these small and large ways, our community has engaged this. Uh, and it just seems like it's, it's, it's a part of God's story. And, and I'm wondering for you, uh, how has that, how, have, how has the relationship with Kairos grown? Um, for you, how does Friends of Refugees see this relationship? And, and maybe even like, what are some of your hopes as you, as you think uh, moving forward uh, for this?
1: So, Friends of Refugees uh, has never sought to be a replacement for a healthy ecclesiology. Friends of Refugees has never sought to be a replacement for the church. Uh, we've always sought to be a place that takes away the distractions and the minutiae and the moving parts so that God's people can join his story um, in a way that is direct, um, that, you know, we've seen so many churches that have tried to launch an employment center, build an ESL program, you know, create a summer camp, and, and, and we like to think that we get a chance to say, hey, just show up, just show up and build a relationship, we'll, we'll make sure that the machine ter- operates, and, it, and it's done with increasing excellence every year, and I have to say that of the, I think it's 27 partner churches that we have, there's no way Kairos is not in the top five of the most holy and completely engaged congregations that we know um, that people have leveraged the intelligence and the ability and the ambition that God's given them in ways that have just been awesome to watch I and mean, then you you hit I, yeah I was scrolling through the, the Kairos Saints and I was like oh yeah, I forgot it, oh right, I totally forgot about that. Like, there's all of these ways that we've seen, and I think in Friends of Refugees, what we get excited about is we're not just one program, that we, over the years, various people with calls to ministry have come together and said, I feel like the Lord has given me a heart for this, can that be a part of the Friends of Refugees family, And so we've gotten to where we are today. We are not recruiting new programs a... <laughs> Don't even say that. Uh, but I mean, it has been this sense of, yeah, we can do this more effectively, efficiently, and powerfully by having one story together. Um, and I think it's amazing, you know, it, it, it's at the end of the day, um, all you got to do is show up and be a friend of a refugee and you will find, um, you know, you'll see what, uh, well, I think the verse I had in uh, Psalm 115, 14 You know, that the Lord will cause you to flourish, both you and your children. Um, And that's something that's super exciting to watch. And when I think about where does that go from here, uh, I I did dwell on that for a long time uh, last night and this morning. And one of the things that I think about is like, you know, what would that look like a year from now? Um, It's it's going really well. It would be that there's not a person in the congregation that doesn't see some way that, that God has given them a unique capital of time or talent or resource or influence that would enrich them if they invested it into some life of someone that they meet through Prince of Refugees. And probably a thing that I think would be truly affirming to me would be to see that at least four new American families have made Kairos their home church. Uh, that, that's something that when I think about the church that we attend Celebration Fellowship, um, you know, the refugee families who um, not necessarily knew, they, they may have been here for 10 years and, and even maybe, you know, uh, moved out of the immediate Clarkson community and are, you know, further afield. Um, but have said, hey, look, this is a a healthy church, a place where my family can grow in the Lord. And maybe there are refugee families who already know Jesus and call him Lord. And maybe there are families who don't and haven't. Uh, But I think that would be something that to me would be pretty impactful to say that a year from now, you know, there are four refugee families who uh, have visited or called uh, Kairos, their home church, and have said, hey, I see some ways that my past career in architecture, my past career as a rice farmer, Uh, has a place to enrich this fellowship and that um, when some of your kids go to visit college, their kids go to visit with you and when Um, you have an opportunity to grow or make more profitable and successful the business that you steward, uh, that you have found a way uh, either through what's happening in the Clarkson community or through the refugee families that God has brought to start life over, uh, that you've found a way to say my flourishing as a company is going to be better because I've added some of those new families to my team or I've invested in a way that we can do good business in this place uh, and that we get to be a part of your story in that, uh, that we get to show you ways for that. Um, that maybe you've even hired one of our uh, uh, staff in Embrace to be your labor doula, uh, or your birth coach. It's not annoying to Liz over there, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, that, that just that sense that there are so many ways that God has for us to be blessed as we join the story of what he's doing in his world.
0: I love that, and I love that that goal, that prayer of having people become a part of our community because the things that I find to be so cool are just the way that God moves in places we couldn't expect. Like um, a lot of the lists that we have are things that you might say like, well, what's a zoo date going to do? That's like, you know, that's like conjugating the verbs. And I just, I don't have time to even take my kids to the zoo. Right. And so now I'm going to, but the Brown family, they went on that zoo date and they didn't have some sort of, um, uh, goal in mind, but they went there with an open heart, and they formed a relationship with one refugee family that they now uh, have a deep friendship with, uh, and, they, and they meet with regularly, and I just think the, the, the things that y'all provide and the ways that we get to participate um, are just the beginning work of being open to where God might be at work, and, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I am grateful for that.
1: I, I do have a really a great, uh, for those of you who are into the community development world, there's a character by the name of, of Jean Barnier, my buddy Jeff Delp likes to say, Gene uh, he's, uh, uh, he He wrote a great book called Call the Community, and I want to share this quote with you. He says, welcoming is not just something that happens as people cross the threshold. It's an attitude. It's the constant openness of the heart. It's saying to people every morning and at every moment, Come in. It's giving them space. It's listening to them attentively. To welcome means listening a great deal to people and then discerning the truth with them. And I guess that posture of welcoming is one of the things that I see Kairos does really well. And there's a richness and a fullness, if I may make a, a Greek joke for Kairos. Uh, but it, it is. And I am just so, so excited and thankful that you do that so.
0: Well, one thing we're really excited uh, to give you a little background. We have this thing called the equipping fund, and it's a hope that we, 20% of what comes in is a, is, goes out and it's a catalyst uh, for people joining God's work in the world. Um, and when I first changed the vision, I kind of made it harder to get money. And I knew that was going to be the case. And so we said, uh, whatever, we're going to set aside the full 20%. Of what comes in this year, even if it's not requested, and it will only ever go for for missional work. And it's been sitting there. It's uh, it was a lot of money. It was um, um, and it was it was sitting there, and we definitely we didn't have anything. We were just busy giving away the newest twenty percent or whatever. And because we have a relationship, I happen to uh, with a group of people be able to go to lunch with Brian and Liz. And he actually never asked for money. We were just sharing our stories and he had this need. And so I brought the need to leadership. And I said, I just think this could be a really good place to give half of the equipping fund reserve to them. They have like a, a pretty urgent need and it could fit in. And of course, we started debating and thinking about it and being like, well, this is a lot of money. and, and we should probably wait and really be discerning of stewardship or whatever. And then finally someone said, these are our friends. We have a relationship. If somebody said, came, if our friend came to us and said, I need $1,000, and we had $1,000 that was sitting there, that was extra, we wouldn't be like, well, let me see if something better comes along or discern, like, whatever. We said, this is what we do in relationship. And, and then all of a sudden, before I knew it, my half request became the full request, which happened to be the exact amount of money that was gonna meet this sort of need. Uh, And so this was just a reserve amount, not part of the operating budget, but we were able to give, y'all were able to give $70,000 to Friends of Refugees uh, to help them move this thing along. And that's a lot of money, and we were pumped it was a lot of money. We are grateful about it, and, uh, and here's the deal. Think about where you invest your money. You invested your money in a college, all of a sudden you start caring about that college, right? You invest your money in a stock, you start caring about that stock. You never care. Our hope is not like a pat on the back, look what we did. Our hope is to say our community has relationally invested with Friends of Refugees, and our money has invested and it is an invitation to begin to care about this place, to wonder what God might be calling us to be a part of and to do. And we hope you'll do that. Uh, I'll just read this real quick. This is what Mary Flynn uh, uh, Nimitz, who's on leadership and a part of the equipping fund, said. She said, as a church, we can make a collective impact through a generous gift that few of us would be able to make alone. We make this gift from our community as an investment in FOUR's work. As individuals, our our capacity for giving, for volunteering, or engaging their work may ebb and flow, but as a church, we are choosing to journey with Friends of Refugees to help them further their mission, which we believe furthers our own vision, to join in God's continuing work for restoration in our families, our work, our city, and our world. And we, and, and that's our prayer, and that's my prayer for y'all, is, is you might say, wow, look at what I'm a part of. What might God be, be calling us into? Uh, and it might be baby steps. This might be the season. It might be later, but we want to learn this language. We have a card that you're welcome to fill out. Uh, just get more information. Uh, But one of the things that it's not all like only hang out with people who are totally different than you. One of the beauties and the gifts of the church is that we hold this in common. That we are in this together. And so our hope is that our investment and our time and our energy and our focus with Friends of Refugees might be an inspiration to do the hard work of joining God's mission and building community. And uh, and we thank you for the ways your generosity and your time has already done that.
1: from all of us at Refugees, a giant thank you, and also an invitation to come and see uh, the space that your investment is making possible, both now and later. Um, it's, it's really exciting. It's almost done, uh, but we, we are basically, um, uh, we found ourselves losing access to about 20,000 square feet of ministry space that we had for the last 10 years, rather suddenly. And we had one opportunity. There was about um, uh, well, there was a very large space, uh, almost 5,000 square feet of completely unoccupied space. with the old Clarkson Community Center's lower level. The last time it was actually occupied, it was a whites-only high school, and we were still in Vietnam. So, uh, it needed a lot of TLC. There was an extraordinary amount of lead and asbestos that had to be removed and abated. Uh, and it would have cost north of $450,000 to have renovated this and made it legal to occupy. But uh, um, some wonderful men and women of the Lord at Winter Construction and Eckhart Electric uh, came on at their cost, and we're going to be able to bring all of it online for under 200000 um, And we had some commitments and we had some grants out there, but it was the, the major sacrificial investment by this congregation that made that possible. It, it activated all of those other gifts and at the end of the day, it is the reason that we have over 200 mothers and children and babies who are going to have a place to learn, to grow, to flourish, and, and ultimately become leaders in our community. Uh, and so as soon as that space is ready, I want you all to come and see it. And it will also will be the administrative spaces uh, for Friends of Refugees, so you can come see Liz's office there. No. Uh, but uh, it, it really is, I mean, it is absolutely a blessing, not just for us and those we serve, but for all of the community to see vacant, rare, commercial office space come online that was just completely derelict and un, unused for God's glory and for the benefit of this community. Um, and we're excited that that's going to be a space that will advance His kingdom for years and years and years to come. Um, so just know that I am absolutely inundated with gratitude for the Kairos congregation.
0: Well, so are we... And I feel like that's, that's God's vision. So thank you for letting us be community with you. Uh, and let's pray. Jesus, your mission and your work does always seem to end with gratitude and awe and joy and meaning that is surprising and fills us with life and peace. And so we thank you for the ways you have been at work in our lives and in the organization of Friends of Refugees. We pray we might be inspired and encouraged by our history and our ability to invest, to turn our hearts towards this organization and listen for the ways that you might be calling us to partner and to build community with them in the years to come. We are so grateful for the ways you are at work. And we thank you that we get to be a part of it. And so we pray all of these things in your mighty name, the name of Jesus. We pray these things uh, in the in, in God who sins and redeems and builds community. Amen.